and welcome in to the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway, over on X, formerly known as Twitter. And with me here, Matt Sells, at The Sellsman. Matt, we've got some baseball news, and albeit a time that we do get some news, but it's mainly in terms of who's advancing, who's going home. But we got potential blockbuster trade updates. We have managerial movements already. So before we get every before we get into everything happening around the Major League Baseball landscape, I have to ask because we have to do the pleasantries. We're contractually obligated. I'm contractually obligated to ask you, how are you doing? Uh, I am good. Uh, pretty exciting. Divi- uh, you know, LCSs saved the playoffs really because the beginning of the playoffs were sweep 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 i think one team won one game and everybody else got swept basically in in all of the series so the lcs's were great um interestingly enough we had a repeat of the 2019 world series in a way in the alcs because the road team won every game in that series just like Mm -hmm. in the 2019 world series um so i'm good you know we're coming down to it the final the final baseball game of the season is within the next week. Basically. How crazy is that? I mean, about nine days, I guess nine days, because it could be, if you go seven games, it's November 4th, you know, so about nine days from when we're recording. But, yeah, we're basically within the last week of baseball for another, uh, what, four months. It feels like It feels like it was just yesterday you and I were talking. We were splitting up the – fantasy baseball sleepers article and it was like who are you writing for the for the fantasy alarm draft guide like who who are you thinking at the sleeper here you're not going to write you're not going to write justin Steele, right i can write him okay cool seems like we were doing that and now we're previewing the final series of the 2023 major league baseball season yeah and one that nobody really predicted yeah i did not have this on my bingo card i mean i think we both had a pretty good idea that if things went right these two teams would make the playoffs and then maybe could make some runs, but I think we both had more, more faith in the Rangers than the, I mean, I've been saying for most of the season, that the Diamondbacks would make the playoffs. Didn't see them as a world series contender. Well, you uh, could see the, the path was there for Texas. I mean, they went and dumped like 500 million last year between right. their two cornerstone middle infielders. Now that they're going to have for the next basically decade. And then this year they went out and addressed the arms and then they did so again at the deadline. So, right. you know, and there was a path prospects. Yes, for sure. And it's one of those things too, where like, we'll talk about it a little bit at the end when we talk more kind of more in depth about the world series, but up until the, the championship series, these two teams, I don't want to say they weren't tested because that's, I, I'm not trying to belittle Tampa Bay or Baltimore or Milwaukee or, uh, the team from LA, the Dodgers, but I mean, both teams were five and zero in those first two series, perfect sweep going into the LCS. And then we finally got not one game seven, Matt, but two. It's the, it's only the fourth time since the LCSs have gone to seven game series that we've had two seven game LCSs in the same year. And by the way, it went to seven games in I think the mid 80s. So it's been about 40 years of seven game series. And this is only the fourth time that we've had both go to seven game series. It's only it's the first time ever that both road teams won both games six and seven as well. Mm-hmm. Interestingly. Um, but yeah, they, they got tested. Um, but, uh, you know, on that note, do you have an inherent problem 
with the way the playoffs turned out? Like, do you think the playoffs are there to guarantee that we see the best teams in whatever championships we're talking about, whether it be the NFL <clears throat> playoffs, whether it be NBA, which, by the way, statistically speaking, gets the higher-seeded teams to the to the championships more often, good or bad. Um, mm -hmm. You think that there is an inherent problem with the MLB playoff structure? I mean, how, how? so here's the thing. I think it comes down to this. How do we evaluate the best team? Are we simply going on paper or are we going on the product that's on the field? Because you talked about it, oh boy, a week, maybe two weeks ago, probably two weeks ago after the opening round where we kind of talked that you and I both kind of thought Texas had a chance to kind of stomp. Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay's got this team that is built for 162. Correct. So like, how do we determine the best team? Because we talk about, we, how come we didn't say it with Philly with Philly was winning. Everything was fine, but they just came on at the end of the year. They got hot because their stadium produces like 8 billion decibels in the playoffs <laughs> and the opposing team came and hear themselves think like yeah. that's an advantage. Like we, you can't, there's some things that come playoff time. You can't quantify on paper. Like sure. You know, if we go back to Tampa Bay, if Tampa Bay was healthy, yeah, on paper, look at the ERAs for Jeffrey Springs and Shane McClanahan and uh, Zach Eflin and all these guys. Well, well, his ERA is better than uh, Jordan Montgomery. So clearly uh, Texas is going to lose that game because the pitcher's ERA is lower. Like how maybe it's not even a matter of having a, a problem with the playoffs. It's a maybe it's a reshaping of the minds of what does best team best team actually mean and again it's one of those things too everybody always says all you got to do is make it to the dance right that's what everybody says all you have to do is make it if you're saying all you have to do is make it and not be the best team getting in you are inherently saying that we are playing for this it's a new season everybody's zero and zero this is what we're playing for now we don't care if we're the one seed or the six seed as long as we make it to the dance we give ourselves a chance and that's where we try to perform so I mean, I think it's just a reshaping of what best team actually means. Like, throw away the papers at this point. It doesn't matter. Right. So I have a couple thoughts on this. One, if you're basing best team off of record, how can you do that in a sport that's inherently unbalanced in their scheduling? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it's getting better. We had two teams win a game against every other team this year, which has never happened in baseball because this is the first year it's been possible. That's a little bit of a flawed stat, but – you know, we're, we're seeing more balance where everybody's trying to play everybody. Still not the same because you still have, what, 14 games against everybody in your division, basically. So, you know, you've got the AOS that was three-team race, basically. I mean, the Angels started out pretty well, and then they fell off. The, you know, AL Central was gross all year, basically. The AL East was historically good, but those teams went 0-7 in the playoffs. So what does that mean? Like, mm -hmm. So are we are we talking about record wise for best teams or are we talking about the teams that are playing the best when it matters the most? Because I think that's the way to look at it. Also, why is there gatekeeping in baseball? Why is this only a problem in MLB? We all love the wild card story in the NFL, right? The last few years we've gotten Super Bowls that have produced the teams that should be there. Okay. But we all love the wild card stories of the teams making the runs, right? The the Giants against the Patriots. Um, in March Madness, everybody roots for the upsets, right? The ratings go up 
when we have more upsets. Um, same with, you know, NBA. Last year I had somebody on Twitter go, well, the NBA gets it right. Okay, the eighth seed Miami Heat made the NBA Finals last year, and the seventh seed LA Lakers were in the Western Conference Finals. So did they get it right? Or was the regular season not actually a sign of the team of how the team was playing, right? Well, and, and look at the look at the NBA. Look at half those teams. What do they do? More load than management. Half. All they're trying to do is get a little number in front of their name to 20, make it to the yeah. playoffs. They don't. NBA doesn't. They're the NBA. I, I would the argue. Thirty-two teams in the NBA make the playoffs. Yeah, and of those teams, do you know how many actually have a chance of winning? Basically none. It's like there's like every like if you were to talk to people like if we were to talk to Grande and Pemba, other NBA guys, and ask them how many of the teams in the NBA do you legitimately think have a chance of winning the the trophy, the the it's championship, like hoisting the trophy at the end of the year? It's like four or five, and three. And of them it doesn't even matter their seating, <laughs> and it doesn't even matter their season. Like it, say say the the Suns. I'm not a big basketball guy anymore, to be honest. But if the Suns lose a player or two, and they're the sixth seed, but they're healthy. Or the Bucks, if they lose a player or two during the right. regular season, but they sneak in as a six or seven seed, if they're healthy in the playoffs, that little number before their meet, their name doesn't mean anything. Correct. They're a team that can win it. Like the variance in the NBA, I guess I'm saying is little at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the variance is small. And I pointed this out to, to somebody else on Twitter that, like, yes, did the Diamondbacks suck in the summer? Yeah, they historically were terrible. They went sixteen and thirty four in a 50-game stretch, which is the lowest winning percentage for any 50-game stretch for any team that's ever made the World Series? Okay, but let's flip that around. What does that mean? That means for 112 games, they wound up, their 162-game win total was 84 wins, right? That means over the course of 112 games, they won 68 of them. Mm -hmm. That's a 61% winning percentage, which, by the way, puts you at a 98-win pace so if the d-backs don't suck for 50 games they're a 98 win team is anybody complaining about that shouldn't be no but right? will they, will, but will the they probably they were leading the nls for two months they were 10 games ahead of the dodgers at one point did anybody pay attention to that no so like i i if you want the regular season to, I don't know, matter, I mean, it does, right? Because you can't make the postseason unless you have a good regular season. If you want to really find out who the quote-unquote best teams are, make a balanced schedule. Make every one of the teams play everybody else like five times. That gets yep. you like a 145-game regular season. Mm-hmm. Give points, okay, like hockey. Like, ho like hockey style? Yeah. Like hockey or EPL for our soccer slash football fans, right? You win a game, you get three points. You win a game in extra innings, one point. You lose a game in extra innings, one point. Tally them up. Then do the standings based on points because that's how the NHL does it. The NHL doesn't do it based on win-loss record and win percentage. They do it based on points. And then you seed off of that. Get rid of divisions. Get rid of ALNL. Everybody plays everybody in a round-robin schedule. Points, and then take the top whatever you want. Top eight, top ten. 
whatever the heck you want, and then seed them that way. You want that to be the case? Okay, but can you guarantee me that the top two point scorers make the World Series every year? No! Because guess what? The Braves, their pitching sucked in September. Mm -hmm. It was flat terrible. Spencer Strider got figured out, and he got figured out on the biggest stage. Okay? Max Freed basically didn't show up for the postseason. Okay? Neither did their bats. But if you're putting up four runs and your pitching staff gives up five, doesn't matter if your bats show up, right? Dodgers were a sham all season. I still don't know how they won 100 games, to be perfectly honest. That pitching staff was garbage all year. Mm -hmm. It was powered by Betts and Freeman, who, yes, did they get cold? Okay. But Schwarber, Harper, Turner, and Castellanos went one for 28 in the last two games of the NLCS at home after playing nonstop. For six months. So the break didn't kill him. Good pitching did. So let's yeah. just enjoy the World Series we got with a bunch of young studs, a bunch of fun teams to watch. D-backs haven't been there in 21 years. Rangers have never won one. They've been there, what, 2011 was the last time they were there? Mm. So just enjoy it and have some fun. Yeah, there's actually a lot to like about the World Series. We'll talk about it kind of at the end when we just do a little little bit of a dive into it with the time that we have left at the end. But a couple other news items that we just want to t- touch on here. Um, Matt, you know, we joke during the season that we're contractually obligated to talk about Shohei Otani. Uh, I feel like in this offseason, we're going to be contractually obligated to talk about Juan Soto every single week. Because I think every week we're going to get some little news nugget, some little news item about a new team is interested or there's been talks or here's the latest rumor. I just feel like we're going to be contractually obligated to talk about him. I just feel like that's how it's going to have to be here in the off season. So of course, Juan Soto's name has come up. One of the teams that you thought could be a player from him or for him, excuse me, uh, being the New York Yankees. Supposedly there's been some preliminary talks. Uh, obviously if you check out Matt Sells's prospect rankings at fantasyalarm.com, you will know that the Yankees have enough horses to make a deal if they want to. So let's talk about that a little bit, Matt. Juan Soto, obviously I don't have to ask you if you like the Yankees as a fit because you already said they should probably be one of the key players in the in the Soto sweepstakes. Uh, yeah, I, I like it as a fit. Um, frankly, I was kind of surprised they weren't in on him when the Nats were first shopping him, although I suspect they would not have turned down the package they got from the Padres, no matter who was, because that's just way too big of a a package to turn down. Um, Yeah, I think the Yankees can pull it off. The the asking price is interesting, because if you look at it financially, he's going into the last year of his deal, right? The last year of his team control under arbitration, whatever you want to call it. So if you can't resign him, you have him for one year. Okay. He's already turned down a $450 million contract from the Nats on its face. Now you could structure it. Maybe he didn't like the ownership. Maybe he didn't see the direction the team was going. There's a lot of variables as to why he, maybe it was all deferred. I don't know, but You've seen him turn down a massive contract before, right? So part of it is, can we make a trade and then sign him like the Dodgers did with Mookie Betts and get him for what's basically a steal at this point? I I don't know. Cashman has been able to wheel and deal 
some moves in the past, but I think a lot of the magic, if we want to call it that, has worn off on other teams at this point uh, for him. So, and considering the fact that A.J. Preller knows that he needs to get a serious haul for Soto to make up for the terrible deal it looks like he made to get him, you know, we'll see. I've seen some some four-player deals bandied about. I don't think the guys included in those deals are good enough to get Soto. Mm. Uh, I, I just don't. I think you're going to need um, – now, interestingly, the last ones I saw showed maybe Anthony Rizzo being part of a package. But I don't know – like, he goes back to San Diego because that's where he started. Mm-hmm. Before going to, before going to Boston, I believe like he was a, I think he was a farmhand, or he wound up in San Diego after about one of the two. Um, but I, I, I see a fit. I think it's going to take some haggling and and whatnot. But I see Soto probably winding up in the Bronx. And Rizzo was San Diego, then Chicago, so forty nine games with the Padres back in twenty eleven. I believe he started as a Red Sox farmhand. Because he was with the Red Sox when John Lester was with the Red Sox because they both went through cancer at various times. And they, they like, Rizzo was able to lean on Lester and yes. they had that connection in Chicago. But it was formed in Boston. I think he was a Boston yes. farmhand and then traded. Yep. And I'm trying to remember who the heck that. Never made it higher than double A with Boston. So there you go. So. Hypothetically speaking, if the Yankees were to make a move, does somebody like a Spencer Jones or a Jason Dominguez have to be involved, or can the Yankees do it without maybe one of those two guys? Well, the question becomes, do you trade one of those guys because they're extra at that point? Because think about it. Because in theory, you'd have Judge to your outfield the rest of his life. And gave him mm-hmm. captaincy, right? Well earned. Yep. No problem there. Mm-hmm. You still have Stanton for what four years? I think something like sounds like four. Sounds like three or four too many, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, agreed. But you still have him on on there. Um, if you get Soto, right? Spencer Jones is not really a center fielder. He's a better corner corner outfielder. Jason Dominguez probably fits center field because he's not that tall, actually. It's surprising, mm-hmm. but the Yankees have a sub-six-foot outfield prospect. Jason Dominguez is like five foot ten. That's um, not allowed. He's, I know. He's 6'5". Five. Like he's 6'5". Five. Five. That's what he is. I thought by bylaw he had to be at least 6'5". <laughs> um, but I would – I don't know. I would probably, if I was a Yankees fan, I'd rather they trade Spencer Jones. Because here's the thing, Spencer Jones is a lefty who's six foot seven. Like, we've got some experience with some tall outfielders, mm-hmm. and their inability to stay on the stay on the baseball field. So if you can convince San Diego that hey, this guy's got like five healthy years, then it's worth it. And you clear out a potential corner outfield block because Soto's obviously taking one of those spots if you get him. Judge mm-hmm. is staying in right field. Yep. And then center becomes the question mark 
with you know some some guys up in the air there, and Jason Dominguez probably waiting in the wings. It's one of those things too, where like you know, in a perfect world, they could move like Glaber because that would open up a middle infield spot. But it's one of those things where is San Diego going to be that interested in Glaber? I mean, I know Glaber is not thirty-five by any means, so they're right, still still the phone with him. Do they have a use? Correct. For because Correct. you've got Bogarts at short, you've got and Cronenworth at third. You've got Cronenworth who can play everywhere. You've got Hassan Kimmich still there who can play everywhere. Yep. If you wanted to, for some crazy reason, you could probably put Tatis at second and pull a Mookie Bet situation if you wanted to. Um, you know, not to mention their top prospect right now is a shortstop who's probably going to move to second base. Yep. So. I like it's one of those things where like yeah you're giving up MLB talent but he doesn't really have a fit so you may as well keep him cuz always use a, a a bat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will obviously continue to update on the Soto news. We'll continue to talk about it as something happens and even if something doesn't happen, we'll speculate because we're contractually obligated to, Matt, as I've said for the third time now, but like Chris Russo. Exactly. Russo and we'll yeah, right, right. We will we'll keep updates there before we get to just talking about the World Series, making our picks and everything like that, because both of our picks have been uh, are now null and void, to say at least a couple of manager updates here. It seems like Dusty Baker, um, he will be done. I've started to take retirement announcements with a grain of salt just because any people just come back anyway. So he announced he's retiring. See if he stays retired. That's the other thing. Um, he says he then, wants to remain in baseball as like an advisor. Yeah. Which I mean, I that's that's the him. life. I just wouldn't listen to his advice in Game Sevens, but yeah, but you know, the first, you know, all the other games definitely can. Yeah, he's never um, won a Game Seven, so. And then Craig Council, I believe I I was I was traveling yesterday, but I believe I heard that he did interview for the Mets job. Yeah, they only I have I heard that Craig Council. Yep, and I I would like that hire. Do you feel that way? It's hard to fault what he's done in Milwaukee with basically nothing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you've got a bigger budget in New York. You know you're going to get some help from an owner who clearly has no problem spending copious amounts of money even on a team that doesn't do anything. But also bigger eyes on you. Huge pressure. Bigger like Some of those clever moves that work in Milwaukee that nobody notices because you're playing on a Tuesday at 4 o'clock and a getaway day and it's Milwaukee – New York Post is going to have a bulldog edition with your crap all over it if that move doesn't work in New York. Yeah, if you, if you don't like punny headlines written about you, New York is not the place to be. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I look, it's a pretty good hire. I'm a little confused by the Giants taking Bob Melvin. Yeah, that one Dude, didn't I didn't. Do, didn't do well in Oakland yeah. and then flamed out in San Diego with a massive payroll and then – you fired Gabe Kapler, who got a lot more out of that team than most people thought he would for two out of three years. And I don't know. I just don't get it. Yeah. I mean, Melvin career, uh, about 51.5% career winning percentage. And he's had a couple good years here in Milwaukee. And even his last little bit in Oakland really wasn't horrible, all no. things considered. But it's just – yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you can look 82 and 80. Hey, you won, you know, over half the games, but that Padres team should not have been a two game above 500 team. No, that Padres like, team should have been like they underwhelmed. You, 
if you looked at the rosters going into the season, you would have almost been guaranteed to say the Padres win more games than the Yankees, and yet they finished at the same record. Yeah. I'd agree. So my question for Bob Melvin is, is he is he good at managing low payrolls? And then as soon as he gets big personalities, he can't manage them. Because that's going to happen in mm-hmm. in San Francisco. They are cash loaded. Like, they can sign a boatload of people. They are going to make some plays for some big well, guys. They were they were sniffing around basically every free agent last year. I remember they had a they deal were, with they made a two hours before it was announced. And did they did they actually fully make an offer to judge? I feel like I remember an offer being so. made to judge, but he was never going to leave New York. But yeah, yeah, because they so. came in in the last hour with like captaincy and the the extra year and yeah. whatnot. But I mean, Judge was from the the band. But at the very least, the Giants had their hat in the ring for multiple guys. Like they are, they're willing to spend. They're ready to spend. Right. So, so see how it, Melvin it's does. Weird. It's a weird hire. For for me, I'll be interested to see some of the other open spots. Like Do you it think seems AJ like AJ Hinch comes back to Houston. No, I don't. Ask me why I feel that way. Trash cans. I have no clue to be honest. I don't know why I feel that way. I just have this hunch he's not coming back. I just I have I have no reason. I call it a gut feeling. Call it a pure guess, which a lot of times gut call is just pure guess. A lot of times. Sometimes, I don't know. I just, I just don't, I don't see it happening. But I have no logistical or any insight on that at all. I just, I don't, I don't feel it in here, Matt. I don't feel it in here. If you're the Astros, do you go get Joe Madden from like analyzing games on TV? I mean, there's a case to be made. Case to be made. I don't know. It'll be interesting. There's a lot of teams that are very, very interesting. Yeah, or go get Kapler. I mean, I like what he what he's done in San Fran for the most part. So 107 games with a team nobody expected to do anything. Yeah, he was the one. I'd be interested to see what happens with him. It'll be, it'll be interesting nonetheless. And we'll keep it we'll keep it up to date each week that we we do this here. We'll talk about some manager updates and stuff. But Matt, we got a couple minutes here. Let's talk about the World Series. We talked about it a good bit already, but let's get to the end here. A couple. Just interesting things to talk about it, and then, of course, we'll make our predictions here. Anyone who says this World Series is going to be boring, it's flat-out false. It's wrong. Thanks, Nate. It's over. Here's the thing. is You want to say that there's no star power because there's no Jose Altuve, no Jordan Alvarez, no Mookie Betts, no Freddie Freeman. Well, you know what? Where's Corbin Carroll? I mean, he's budding on stardom, if not already kind of in that range. You're a star? Yeah, isn't Mark Marcus Semien's paid like a star? I mean, Max Scherzer's one of the biggest arms, one of the biggest names in arms in baseball. Eben Carter's bursting onto the scene. Go to Arizona. Yeah. Everybody loved Zach Gallen this year, right? Wasn't yeah. he a top dude? What about Corbin Carroll? He was a he was an award finalist before the season even started. He about, practically had the NL again. Rookie of the Year. <laughs> yeah, Cattell Marte. What about longtime vet for you for you race fans? If you want a rooting interest. What about your former golden boy, Evan Longoria? What about Texas, Adelise Garcia, who's doing his best Randy Rosarina postseason impression? Can't wait. You know, we talked about postseason bumps. I cannot wait to see where Garcia is going in drafts next year. That's going to be bonkers. <laughs> it's going to be good. Luck. I, 
I'm not getting any shares of him. I can tell you that already. That is not happening. Nope. But so you've got I mean, yeah, everybody that won games for the for the Diamondbacks in the ALs in the NLCS is like 23 or younger, right? Corbin these Carroll. teams have players in every award conversation. How are how are you not saying they're Corbin Carroll is a shoe for the NL Rookie of the Year. He's the only rookie ever to go 2050 in a season, right? He might. Well, Cattell Marte got a shot to set the MLB all-time record for consecutive hit, like hit streak to start a postseason career. He's hit in 15 straight games, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You've got Gabby Moreno, who is a stud young catcher that everybody forgot about when he was in Toronto, and now he went to Arizona, and everybody loves him, right? You've got uh, Perdomo for the for the Diamondbacks was a top prospect that people stopped paying attention to. Brandon fought has been a revelation this postseason. That guy has been in the postseason is exactly what us dynasty writers have been telling you. He should have been to start the year. Right? So you've got a ton of young dudes on Arizona's roster that are just spectacular. Same can be said for, Texas. Evan Carter is phenomenal. Josh Jung, phenomenal. Jonah Heim, phenomenal. You you know, you've got a bunch of young guys on this roster. It's not like Adelise Garcia is all that old. Neither is Leo Tavares. Um, you know, you've got some studs. You've got some star power. And you've got a bunch of guys who are competing for a chance to win their first World Series ever, and that's all you can ask for. And that that's going to inherently raise the stakes. There's going to be that excitement. These stadiums should be rocking, you know, maybe not quite to the tune of Citizens Bank Park, but I mean, it should still be quite crazy. Like it's going to be exciting. And there's so much to look forward to. I mean, game one, as long as nothing changes, Gallon and Eovaldi both have pitched quite well. And, you know, Gallon's been Cy Young-esque at points this season, probably more often than not. And then, you know, we're not going to get some of these other game twos, but you got Jordan Montgomery. You got I'm guessing Scherzer. Probably, I'm guessing it's either Scherzer or Montgomery for Texas, and it's going to be Merrill Kelly for yeah. Arizona. And then it'd be Brandon Fott, game three for Arizona, I would presume. Talk about uh, postseason bumps, too. Brandon Fought. Guy's going to start fights and drafts. Yeah, that would have been, been really cool to have him on my team as a. You know, he went from going to he, he went from being like twenty twenty four, a twenty twenty four bounce back guy almost almost borderline post hype prospect because he was so bad when he right. first came up to now he's gonna be like this. Hey, if all goes well, he's a he's an SP two. Like we're now gonna be drafting yeah, if all him. Goes well, he's on the level of Zach Gallon in that rotation. Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be Thanks so hard. Seventeen to get postseason innings. <laughs> Like, just look at this. Adelise Garcia, his ADP is now through the roof. Evan Carter's through the roof. If Corbin Carroll has a strong World Series, he's going to go. I didn't even think he could go any higher than what he might, and he's going to get moved up. I mean, uh, I mean, I'd be curious how high Corbin Carroll is going to end up going next year. Vision people taking Corbin Carroll over Acuna on the off chance that they think that Carroll still goes up and Acuna dips. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying I can see people making the argument that like a 24-year-old Corbin Carroll might outproduce draft stock of a guy who just had a 40-70 season. Like this is so over, the view that people are going to take. Over at NFBC ADP, I did it from October 1st 
to today, October 26th, Acuna, J-Rod, Bobby Witt, Mookie Betts, and then right there is Corbin Carroll. ADP of 6.25, best min pick of five, max pick of eight. So he's not leaving the top 10. And if he has a strong World Series, that five and eight might become like three and six. Three and seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's not, he's going to move up. And there, there are going to be some, especially in like some of those like higher stakes leagues, like maybe if, if Acuna, if we're going to just deem him the rock solid number one, which I'd be fine with, there's going to be some people that take Corbin Carroll as high as two. Like it's it's going to come because, because be like, just oh, insane upside. I can get I can get the other guy that can do the same thing. Yep. If anybody can get close to him, it would be him. I mean, I do like Bobby Witt too, but that's a conversation for another day. But yeah, Corbin Carroll is up there. Actually, the other one I want to look at here too. Yeah, no star power. Corey Seager's pick seventeen. No star power in this in this uh in this little World Series. Marcus Semien thirtieth. Yeah, no star power in this World Series. Zach Gallon, 38th. Adelise Garcia is up to 41 at ADP right now. This is just from October 1st. That man went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and then went berserk for two games, and his ADP is through the roof. If I go from Monday, October 16th to October 26th, I'm going to see if that changes at all. Semyon's 29. Top 10 in that range? <laughs> uh, Garcia's, Garcia's at 43. Oh, that's because there's only one draft, it says. All right, let me go back to October 1st. Yeah, where did Brandon Fought show up in those drafts now? Find our, our good friend Fought. Uh, pitcher. So there's only been four drafts. We're not exactly working with like a massive sample yeah. size here. Gallons, SP8. Where am I at here? Yeah, Fought's pitcher 97. I mean, that makes sense. Min pick of 227, max of 303. I'd be in at that price. Average draft of 247.25 going. Just ahead of future Cy Young winner, Hall of Famer, six-time World Series champion, Paul Skeens. I mean. And then Christopher Sanchez, you Darvish. That's a steal at that price, to be honest. But can't forget he had a 10.7 ERA at one point in the regular season. So Brandon Brandon fought going after Kyle Harrison and Shane Boz, Tristan McKenzie, Nick Lodolo, Todd Bradley. I mean, everybody in the race was injured, so. <laughs> true, true. So, the World Series, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be interesting. First game Friday night, and again, Gallon versus Eovaldi. So, Matt, coming up against the bell here, I got to ask you, what is the prediction? Rangers in four, Diamondbacks in six. What are you thinking? It's really hard, to be honest. I think the teams are, I think the teams are really quite close. I think I'm going to go D-backs, and they're going to do it in seven again like they did in 2001. I think I go That's exactly what mine was. That's what mine was, D-backs in seven. Because here's the thing. If the D-backs keep playing their kind of baseball, which is small ball, they don't hit a whole lot of home runs, but they stole twice as many bags as the Rangers did, I think you can avoid, like, the teams that hit a bunch of home runs in the postseason win a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But if you limit them to solo shots, which is mostly what they did against the Phillies, it doesn't really – I mean, it helps, right? It's a run, but it's not like it's a run. racking up three-run shots or – Right. You know, that's what that's what got the Astros in trouble was that they would walk dudes and then Annalise Garcia would come up and jack a three-run shot. 
if you give Adelise Garcia a homer and it's a solo shot, a a base hit and a double counters that, right? Yep. So I I think I'm going D-backs in seven. I'm going D-backs in seven. They can put a lot of pressure on the pitching staff for Texas with just threat on the base path. And it's not like at Arizona's devoid of offense either. They have offense. They don't have to they don't have to use their threat on the base path to put their hitters in good situations. They can do the best of both worlds. They can get it done each way. Give me Arizona and seven. I do believe Arizona is a betting dog. I think. I think so. I, at least I know for game. I think for game one, they're Not dogs. To mention the Rangers bullpen was the weakest bullpen in the postseason coming in. Mm-hmm. Like it. They still don't really have it figured out. Yeah. I mean, so I am going. You were still watching with bated breath every time, like, Aroldis Chapman came in, hoping he wasn't going to blow something up. They really used LeClaire or LeClerc in, uh, in the earlier series, too. So we'll have to see. But, yep. D backs in seven. We agree. So that is it. So we will hopefully, if we look at the schedule here, we'll we'll record another edition next week, most likely as we're doing this. So we would be probably, if we record Monday or Tuesday, we'll be three or four games in. Should have a good idea from there. But we are holding strong with D-backs in seven. So game three is Monday Monday. night. Yep. Game four, yeah. Because it goes game one, game two, Friday, Saturday. Then they travel. Then it's game three, four, five. Monday game four is Tuesday night. Wednesday's game five. Maybe with Thursday being an off day, we may end up recording Wednesday or Thursday and previewing either the series ended or the last couple of games in the series. So we'll take a look there, but we'll have a better idea. Seven next games, week. then that's ending on my birthday. So I'd say it's a pretty good birthday gift. Yeah. Also, the people of Phoenix are going nuts because there's a NASCAR race. The championship for NASCAR is in Phoenix on the 5th of November. <laughs> So there's there's a lot going on in, in Phoenix this week. Plus, first sure year Arizona's is. there, like a bunch of like the AFL having yep. some fun time there. So there's a lot going on there, and of course, there's a lot going on here at FantasyAlarm.com. Football, Matt, all the sports that you're writing for that I can't keep track of. Obviously, football is king right now. We got that, and then the NBA is back. Grande and Impemba and the team doing a lot of good NBA stuff there. So make sure you check out everything at FantasyAlarm.com. If you're not an all-pro subscriber, go do that now. Get access to everything we have on the site and even talk to us in Discord. Because pretty soon, you know, right now we're talking World Series. Pretty soon we're talking keepers. We're talking strategies for fantasy baseball. The next season we're is like closer than you think, folks. from the winter meetings. I know. It, we're closer. We're closer than you think. So give me a follow over on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Colby R. Conway. Give Matt a follow at The Salesman. And we will see you next week with the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. <laughs>